Welcome to System Mastery, the podcast where we command our followers to beat a dead horse for 1d6 damage, or risk angering us and suffering our terrible wrath at harvest time. Today, we're reviewing New Gods of Mankind, a game that is disappointingly not about Orion and Mr. Miracle rescuing Sako from Calabac. There, now we can't use that obvious joke in the main body of the show, as I'm sure we were very tempted to do. It's System Mastery. Sometimes before the episode gets started proper, we do like ad reads for people who send us money. Yeah, I mean, not normally, but by God, we've been getting them. Yeah, I have like 30 of them right now. There's so luckily, I would say I say luckily, even though it's going to come back and and get us later in a good way. Uh, Most of the most of them are being bought by people who know that right now we're about to raise the price. So they're buying them so that they can bank them for when they have their thing done. Mm hmm. But oh my gosh, do I ever had a lot of them. I've had people buy as many as four uh, for their own show. Wow. All right. So that's it's cool. I'm looking forward to doing that kind of thing. So, But for now, we're going we're gonna to work through two of them just like we generally do. Unless they're really small, we're going to usually keep it to two per episode. If you want one of these, hey, we're going to raise the price in 15, 16 days, so you should probably jump on it now. You can bank them. You can get them by going to systemmasterypodcast.com. And clicking on the Give Us Some Money button, there is a uh, instructions you can follow from there to purchase an announcement mastery, and we will read it for you. Uh, but today, we have a couple of them. Uh, one of them is a special request to have John read, mm. which I get, because he's got a way better voice than I do. Ah. Uh, so why don't you go ahead and kick us off, John? Tell us all about your announcement mastery for the day. All right. <clears throat> What if bad games could make good games? If you're listening to System Mastery like I know I am, you appreciate a good bad RPG. Well, I do too. I'm Julian K, also known as Alien Rope Burner Arbco. And since 2011, I've done over 50 reviews, including Rifts and other Palladium books, Pathfinder, Starfinder, and many others, delighting readers with systemic insights and clever jibes. But as I Hot damn! On- <laughs> As I move on to become a freelance game designer and writer for Level 99 Games and Pelgrane Press, I didn't have time to cover RPGs in the manner in which my readers have become accustomed. Bad games help me become a game designer, and they can help you understand systems and, dare I say, master them. Sounds crazy, right? Haha, <laughs> well, anything is possible. And now with the power of Patreon, I've got three written features for you. And your backing convenience. Complete with antics. Most comedic. The first feature, Rifts. <laughs> no. Huzzah. No. T. No T. Rifts. Don't get it twisted. It's a column where I take a game with supplemental like Rifts, Cinnabar, or Eoris, and laser focus on a particular mistake and talk about how it can inspire not only finer design, but all new mechanics. Also included are factoids and failures at no extra charge. The second, Ludosophy, covers the latest trends and assumed wisdom in the vast role-playing game field. It asks questions of the day like, who exactly is the protagonist in a role-playing game? How can Heartbreakers create a model for ambitious indie design and charisma threat or menace? Lastly, I'm working Mm. on an exciting independent games and books like Melwaf, My Life with an Exciting Fantasy Foreigner, Anarcho-Punk 2020, or Back to the Rifter. Backers get a real opportunity to look behind and see my own process in game design and writing. 
I know you're too amazed for words, but it's no fib. So, game systems aficionados and bad game buffs, come on! Come one, come all! And back the exciting JK Patreon! Joineth Murder Hobo tier to read riffs every week! Or become a power gamer and join Ludosophy every other week! And rifts every week! Daringly delight in backing at the min-max level and not only enjoy both riffs and Ludosophy, but... A super raw preview of what I'm working on every month, thinking of setting your eyeballs on no less than 1,200 of the finest American words delivered conveniently to your <laughs> inbox? Well, come on down to patreon.com slash K. that's J-U-L-I-N-K-A-Y, and have a look. Or follow the convenient bespoke link provided by Jeff and John in the description and let it carry you through the internets with the wind at your back. Let's take bad games and make great games. Can I just make them say anything? Anything like, I appreciate myself. Ha ha! I really got them there. I am valid. Oh, how embarrassed they'll be. System Mastery is a delightful show. Oh ho ho! They'll be red with shame, just like a bad RPG. And there you have it. <laughs> oh man. I mean, I, I think it was a very great choice to ask you to read it in your old-timey announcer voice, because it makes you go way faster. It's true. Yeah. Smart play. Uh, very smart play indeed. I almost slipped into British for a moment there, but I kept it. I heard that. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, I'm, I'm slipping. I'm slipping. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta maintain. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> there, uh, Arbco is right. We're going to have uh, links to that at the, at the uh, on the show description and in the Twitter as well. So you can follow through. And thank you very much for your support. I have one as well, and I'm ready to get started. Here we go. <clears throat> Thankfully, no voice requested. Unplayed, uh, excuse me, but I still can't read. Unplaytested is the show about games that have never been played before because they never existed before. On every episode of the Unplaytested podcast, Alex and Lara will roll a random result off a big list of your ludicrous suggestions for RPGs and spend an hour figuring out how to actually turn that into a playable game. Things like make a game about dire capybaras, or make a game about what you think Naruto is probably like, or make a game about the golden age of piracy, except instead of ships, they ride water-dwelling kaiju. Then, the next week, they'll livestream their completely unplay-tested first draft of the game on Twitch to see if it blows, up, blows them away or blows up completely. Want to take part in this endeavor? Visit us at unplaytested.com, where you give us suggestions for the big list of game ideas, volunteer to join as a player, or sign up to be a guest designer. Catch the podcast every other Tuesday on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or, or at unplaytested.com. Catch the live stream every other other Tuesday at 8 p.m. Pacific at twitch.tv slash unplaytested, and follow us on Twitter at, you guessed it, at unplaytested. Unplaytested. We make games, whether we want to or not. All right. Oh, there you have it. There's a couple of really good announcement masteries from some fine content producers. I suggest you go forth and endorse them forthwith. And with that, I think we should probably get back to the show. John, you agree with me? Oh, yeah. Let's do it. See you on the other side. Hey, everybody. Welcome to System Mastery. Uh, I'm Jeff, joined as always by my accomplished co-host, John. John, at this point, would you consider yourself accomplished in your field? Uh, you know, that's a really weird question for me to think about. <laughs> well, I mean, ultimately, we created like, our field. Minute, am I accomplished? 
hold on. Well, Have I done there... something with my life? <laughs> Uh, you were invited to teach at a college, or not teach, but but uh, do a guest lecture at a college class the other day. I know this is based ridiculous. solely on our experiences doing this. So I guess maybe we are accomplished in our field. I don't know. I mean, at this point, we've put in enough hours and research into this nonsense that, by God, we must be up there in the level of expertise. Kids, take a lesson from John and I. If you create your own field, you're automatically accomplished in it. So just make up some shit and then say you're good at it. <laughs> just find it's the American something way. you like and be like, what's <laughs> dumb nonsense I can figure out about this? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So how are you? I am doing all right, actually. It's a, it's a good day. I had a donut today, so always a good day when you have that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm under the weather myself. I just have a regular ass cold. Like I have a snuffly nose. Oh no, and an sneezes. ass cold. I have a regular ass cold where my ass needs constant tissues. Not where you'd think. <laughs> you got that that uh, runny ass. <laughs> well, no, it's weird. It's an interesting experience having just a generic cold during quarantine. You know, mm-hmm. we're just like. If I have a cough, I'm like, oh, fuck. Oh, shit. Oh, no. I killed my mom. <laughs> but, you know, I wouldn't got shit tested. And I, I I just have a fucking, at least as far as I'm aware at the moment, because you never know when I suddenly pick it up and I'm still asymptomatic. I just have a regular dumb cold. Yeah. But it's still, like, absolutely terrifying. No, I, I am definitely there where I'm like, ooh, if I get at all sick, I'm going to be like, God, no. And then even if it is just a cold, I'll be like, well... Man, that's bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I did all the stuff. I was already quarantining. How the hell did this get in here? I was so careful. What the hell? Stupid cold. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's how everybody's doing. I'm doing okay otherwise. I mean, colds don't get me down that much. They just sort of are irritating and make it hard to record because I have to keep holding back coughs. Yeah, I get it. And ca- clearing my throat just constantly, but like way off mic. Way anyway, off we were- mic. Way out. I just I get up and run to the other end of the room. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I can always rely on you to talk for the exact right length of time, so it never shows up on, on mic in any way, and no one can tell if I'm doing it or not. No, never at all. Mm-hmm. So, uh, <laughs> we read a book. I forgot to check when this was made, made and published, but I'm going to guess somewhere around 2007. 2009. 2007. Okay, well, I wasn't that far off then. Mm-hmm. So, 2007's New Gods of Mankind. Now, now, John, when you play a game that, that purports to allow you to play a god in a role-playing game, what's your normal first assumption? Oh, man. I mean, my normal first assumption, if it says you are playing a god, is, of course, you have to pick, you know, whatever type of god you're going to be. That's my first assumption. Yeah. Now, I've just been trained through years of role-playing games that feature, like, oh, you're playing the gods, that, no, you're fucking not. You're playing some superhero who happens to wear old-timey clothes and doesn't really do a whole lot of god stuff. God stuff. You know what I mean? You look at your, like, exalteds or your scions or what have you, and most of the time when you're playing as a god or a godling or whatever, you're like, well, what do you do? Well, I dress all cool, and I have one glowing eye, and I carry a sword, and I'm hard to kill. See, but I think so much, like... Go ahead. That's, that's more if you are a demigod is the big thing for me. If you are mm-hmm. godlike, then sure. But games where you play 
as a god, I feel tend to be a little bit better about it. Like if you're looking at something like Nobilis or whatever, then yeah, it's a good example. Yeah, that's a little more like you're playing a god. But even in Nobilis, you don't really have to do your god job oh. that much. I mean, you spend most of your time fighting like anti-gods that exist. I don't remember. Nobilis was confusing. <laughs> but it's not like if you're the god of pillows that you have to constantly go on down to Earth and make sure people are playing, paying proper obeisance to pillows. True facts. You pretty much just, by existing, do your job. Yeah, I mean, this. Now this, this is much more like... Very old school, you are straight up like a god from like an old biblical level tribe where you have to like do miracles and they have to pay you proper respect and you get into a dick kicking contest with other gods. No, this is a fascinating, I mean, I don't know if I would necessarily call it a good game. I think it definitely has the, the, the tools necessary to be a playable game for sure. But it is very much, it's like Sim City, but an RPG or black and white or Sim or, or one of the Sim games. It's it's just or civilization. Yeah, it's very close to civilization, uh, except that instead of being like, oh, I'm a world leader who weirdly operates from a god down perspective. No, you're just a god. Yeah, they take away the whole. Oh yeah, I'm Abraham Lincoln, but I run this civilization for the next you know fifty thousand years. It's just no, you're you're the actual god of America now. It's fine. Yeah. This is pretty fascinating overall. Your character doesn't even have stats exactly. Like they have some stuff, but none of its hit points cuz you're just a god. You're a concept more than anything else. Oh yeah. I mean, the game includes like instead of having like, "Oh, I've got a 10 strength or whatever the hell." It's like you have preferences for what your god is good or bad at but even then that's just how difficult is it for you to do that like it doesn't matter if you're like a god that's not particularly great at say making storms you can still do that it's just harder yeah and uh ultimately the fact that you can do those miracles you can pretty much get anything done with any miracle it's purely a, a function of describing them correctly. So even that whole descriptions tool, we're like, oh, I'm, I'm a god of storms, so it's hard for me to create sunny days. It doesn't matter, because you can still just be like, I create a storm that causes crops to grow. Uh. So it's a very loose game in some respects, but a very controlled and tight game in ways that are unexpected to see in a regular role-playing game. So I find this, if nothing else, this is certainly a very fascinating piece of text. Oh, yeah. Uh, but why don't we start by, let me just go ahead and damn it in the most direct way possible. 45 pages at the start of this book is just endless prattling gazetteer-style description of a world that feels incredibly boring and furthermore does not feel especially well-connected to the game itself. No, that the main issue with it is you start out and you're like, I don't know anything about this game aside from a very brief page of like, hey, you're going to play as a god. And then it's like, let me tell you about my fucking generic ass setting. And you go, oh, okay. And you start reading through it and it is just generic ass setting. You're like, this is the coastal realm. This is the place where it is cold. This is a desert. And you're like, I don't, I don't need you to tell me that. 
Yeah, like you get, there's, like John was saying, the first page is like, oh, in this game, you're going to be playing amazing gods of power in a world that is new. Anyway, here's Zill. Zill is some sort of knight or something who's a salamander in the queen of, uh, or in the service of Queen Tassilandry, who's another salamander of immense power. She might be a god, I'm not sure. Uh, she has 85 titles, so probably. And he's just going to be like, all right, let's get started. Uh, let's talk about Al-Najun. It's a cold place where Undyne doth live. Its habitability for humans is uninhabitable, but humans are found there often. And hmm. it just goes on like that for, oh gosh, for, like I said, 45 pages. It just It just goes on and on. Uh, and, and by a certain point you realize, oh no, they've, we aren't done. I thought we were done cause it was going alphabetically, but we were just looking at the Northern hemisphere. Yeah. The, the main issue I have, honestly, I've got more than one main issue. There are several things. <laughs> one, <laughs> you it, have more than one issue. The, the fact that it is done from a first person like oh let me tell you about this place i'm like oh no now it's all prosy and shit so yeah what should be a paragraph to go like this is a coastal town it's lush and there are you know undines and humans live there you're like great thanks for the information that's good to know in case i want to set something there but instead it's all Oh, my lady, the humans doth live here, but ooh, the undines are in conflict with them. Shall it arise? That I'm like, shut the fuck up. No one cares. Oh, yeah, probably. And it's because it's written from the point of view of one of these salamanders, which are basically like dragon people. Um, there are five immortal races that occupy the, er- the, the world that we are playing on. Uh, dragons or I'm sorry salamanders sylphs undyne uh gnomes and another one uh giants <laughs> or something i think and, and and here's the problem even you think okay well i'm playing as a god so maybe i'll be the god of one of these no you're not you're never a god of one of these you are the gods of fucking mankind full stop so for the first 45 pages of the book to be written half in the voice of some salamander that you'll never control or even interact with, really, and the second half of those 45 pages to be written the same way by an undyne, you're like, okay, I, I, I'm kind of getting this now. This is a game about playing the warring factions between these, like, very elementally aligned, you know, fire salamanders, water undyne, forest sylphs, earth giants. Uh, you kind of get the sense, oh, I get it. It's kind of a warring tribe thing. Then you get to the part about how to play the game, and you're like, nope, humans. Everyone's humans. Oh, yeah. And I've been like, okay, but I've I've been reading 50 pages of Lo, How I Hate These Humans. Oh, I know. But that's because the elder races are sort of your main, I guess, end-level antagonists, because the elder races, all of these sort of elemental beings, are also... Like, they're, they have their own gods, but those gods are, like, old gods, and you are a new god. So, like, humans are making up their own gods right now. But if you were to go, like, yeah, I'm a hot shit new god, and I'm gonna go try and fuck with some undines or whatever, the undine god would show up and be like, hey, I've been around for, like, a million years. You can go fuck yourself. I'm way more powerful than you. Yeah. But overall, I would say that basically this just fails one of my my more basic ideas of of, uh, game layout, which is try reading it yourself. Are you bored already? Put it at the back of your fucking book. Uh, 
Like, there's a certain point where you're like, ah, welcome, my my queen, I, I tell you now of the northern castle reaches of Arthathalafafathal. Ooh, how I hate these humans what live here. And he's like, okay, I get it. This has been going on for fucking forever. It's just a longer version of the timeline that I also hate. Move it to, I'm sure it's very important, move it to the back. Move it back, put the character creation in the front. Oh, yeah, but that's the problem, is if you're the person writing this game, You are excited about your setting. You want to tell people about this cool place called Arfelslin or whatever you you made up. And you're like, well, I have to tell them about it. It's important they know about, I don't know, fishermen or whatever. (laughs) And they, it's very difficult for a writer to be like, ah, yes, no one's going to give a shit about this as much as I do. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not even saying take it out. I mean, obviously, it's important for people who are way into the lore of the book. But we're talking, this is the player's handbook, effectively. This is the core book for players. You shouldn't start seeing the rules on page 60. It no, should be like I page mean, if t- I was, two. If I was going to give a like perfect layout for a player's handbook, especially because this also has like a GM's handbook and other things, so it's not like you got to fit everything into one book, I would say you really ought to start out with give me a basic introduction to the idea of this game so I can decide quickly whether or not I want to do this or what it's about and Mm -hmm. then let me know about what the characters are and give me some rules for that and then maybe let me in on some more nonsense for your setting. But like... Try and hook me first, because I know nothing about what you're doing. And if you just start telling me about some random town that's like, hey, here's Catalonia. And you're like, all right, cool. Don't care. I know nothing about this, so it doesn't matter. The other thing about this is that this is the beginning of chapter one. We're getting a, a gazetteer guide to the world that's full of little references to the rule set of a separate game that is also included in this book that is located at only begins at chapter six, like 130 pages in because all the, yep. all the stuff where it's like, this is a starting zone or this is an area that's uninhabitable for humans is actually part of a second game contained in this game that converts the whole series into a tactical board game kind of thing. Yeah. It's very interesting that we've had RPGs before where we've said man, this feels way more like a board game than it does a role-playing game. And Mm -hmm. in this one, they were like, you know what? There is a lot of stuff in this that is very much just like resource management board game things. And if you want to do that, fuck it. Here's rules to just do that. I'm down with that. I think this game makes a great board game. So I had no problem with finding that section. But it's really weird to see all these kind of rules that specifically to apply to that section of a separate game contained in the same book without a reference to it or a key to explain it or anything. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't really, like, confuse a lot of things because it'll say, like, oh, this area is, you know, habitable or lush or whatever. And at first, you're just like, oh, I guess they're just saying, you know, this is a nice place or whatever. And then you realize those are actual keywords for the board game. And you're like, okay, that's fine. But this still doesn't need to be in the beginning of the book when you're like, I don't know what this is. I mean, the other thing is that they 
they seem like they should just be straight up descriptions like, oh, this neighborhood is is difficult for humans to live in. But because they use the word uninhabitable for this zone is hard to live in instead of, you know, you fucking can't live here. Stop trying. So they'll be like, oh, this is where like northern native humans live, the kind who have like kayaks and shit. Uh, it's uninhabitable for them, though. They live in an area that is uninhabitable. What is this, a fucking Richard Letterer book? It's hard to live there. Not a, not impossible. Anyway. Um, so we get this this salamander guy talks all about the world, and then he's dropped for an undine who tells us instead all about the heavens. Uh, so after we're done hearing about a world, which mostly is just broken down into lands that these different kind of elder races and a few humans can fit into... It's time to hear the basic cosmological concept. Uh, it's not a terrible one. It's pretty basic. We've got the Well of Souls, a river from which all, uh, I guess, sentience and souls spring. Yep. No one can go there, and it's it's just it's more like an out than an in, uh, and it's just a place that exists cosmologically. Uh, you've got the four celestial spheres of seasons. Uh, each of which is named after one of the seasons, and that's those are where gods live. Yeah, so that's, they're basically that's the like, god realm. That's heaven proper, more or less, because certain spirits get to go there, and then they're like, ah, I get to live forever in this autumn wonderland. You've got the celestial garden, which is sort of god meeting ground, where gods hang out with other gods and have tea parties or mock battles. Uh, spirits can hang out there. Sometimes there's usually it's the place where you can find the super kind of ur-god fate. Yeah, there's uh, the GM in this is called Fate. There is also Fate is an actual thing in the game as far as it's it's the living tribunal in that it just sort of adjudicates all of the stuff for all of the other beings, whether it's, you know, souls or gods or whatever. But it is mm-hmm. not like the creator god. There is apparently like the person who created everything has fate as sort of their go-between, and then fate has their own go-betweens for other things. Yeah, yeah, including uh, a special breed of spirit that fate uses to catch other spirits that are running around rogue called grapplers. Yeah, sometimes a soul will escape from the Well of Souls and not actually inhabit a body or anything and just be like a demon running around. Or you might have yeah, that's what a, demon is. a spirit that, when it dies, instead of going back to the Well of Souls or the Celestial Garden or whatever their god's heaven is, just fucks around and hangs out, then, mm-hmm. you know, maybe... And if it fucks around, it finds out. Yeah, it will fuck around and find out that it can also, if it gets enough people believing in it, it can go from being a ghost to a god. Mm-hmm. But, you know, sometimes so those spirits become assholes, and then the grapplers come get them. Yeah, and sometimes they become assholes and become leviathans, which are like god monsters uh, that, that work like the opposite of gods. Uh, and then there's the fire of creation, which is just the sun. It's just a word for the sun, uh, because there's other fires of creation elsewhere in the galaxy, but they're really hard for gods to get to, because gods are powered by faith from their followers, and since there aren't any followers in space, you get far away from Earth, and you're like, "Ah, shit! I'm 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 all out of faith. I'm so lost without them." <laughs> yeah, you run out of faith, and you're like, "Oh no!" But I gotta have faith. <laughs> there we go. There's two of them. There we are. 
to, to create a character, I don't know, should we start with character creation? Or I guess there's more places we could talk about. There's I the mean, Well of Dreams, for example. I was going to say, there's the Veil of Dreams, which is Thank just you. Dream Realm. There's the Abyss, which is basically just space. Because mm-hmm. in between the fires of creation are the Abyss. And if you hang out in space for too long, you go crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Same thing happens if you hang out in the Well of Souls for too long. Yeah, if you just hang out in a place that's either there is nothing here or there's just sort of teeming chaos, which is just sort of the Well of Souls, then Mm -hmm. eventually you go a little nutty. Yeah, and then the Celestial Gardens are technically split up into seven kinds of gardens. Yeah, but who gives Um, a shit about that? (laughs) I know. I don't want to talk about the fungal garden of charity, gluttony, and greed any more than I have to. They're just just places where people who die uh, afflicted heavily by one of the great sins or or, uh, virtues go to, and they are uh, appropriately housed. Yeah, so it's just, you know, while you are waiting for fate to be like, yeah, sure, you can go back to the Well of Souls, or, oh, you should move on to whatever whatever fate's going to decide the courtyard has just a bunch of places to divvy up people. And it's so weird because each of them is both the, uh, the sin and the virtue. So you're like, ah, Mm -hmm. yes, this is the place for charity and greed. You're like, that's odd that you would store both of them there. Well, it's so that the people who are charitable can eternally furnish the people who are greedy, thus existing in a perfect cycle until fate comes for them. I guess. Yeah, just like the tropical garden of lust, adoration, and revulsion, uh, you would obviously, if you're going to go there and be all crazy and lustful, you definitely want some prudes to be skeeved by your by your uh, mo- your crazy way of living, man. Oh yeah, so you got to have it's, the it's revulsion not fun people to have like in orgy outdoors unless someone's there going oh my goodness how dare you how is this god in tropical the concept of the tropics feels very eurocentric (laughs) well you know there's pineapple and coconuts and shit exactly that makes no sense whatsoever Uh, i got fungal but tropical feels racist somehow ah that's (laughs) that's an odd thing to think but sure I said, not really. I mean, I know the tropics are technically a latitude zone, so I get the concept. But when it was just like, what are the tropical gardens? Oh, that's where like pineapple and crap live. And I was like, no, no. The other ones are things like fungal and cold. And now you've got one that's like island style. Yeah, fuck yeah. Okay, whatever. I want to go to the island of getting your dick wet. Why would you just go to the ocean near the island of Dick getting your dick wet, where your wet, uh, dick would be wet from the ocean? Ah, yes, my wet ocean dick. <laughs> well, I think you just named your character, <laughs> or at least, or at least the things he's the god of. Yeah, I'm the god of the ocean and subheading wet dicks. <laughs> Not just wetness and dicks. Okay. Yeah. Uh, anyway, you want to get into character creation? There's really. It's just this big rambly story that doesn't make a lot of sense without the character creation. So, I guess yeah. we should get there. I mean, the the thing with the character creation as opposed to the rest of the game is so interesting because character creation is almost entirely narrative. You don't yeah. really write down stats or abilities or like, oh, I have these specific miracles I know or anything. Pretty much everything but, like, your 
inclinations are just sort of, yeah, write down whatever you want for your god. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a few things where you have to write down numbers, but they are static from one god to the other. There's no randomness. There's not really a lot of choice. The one choice we'll get to when we're talking about that section. But you start with your concept, which is just sort of, you know, what are you kind of basically like? Like, what are you the not not necessarily what are you the god of? That's the thing you also still have to choose. It is a great thing to think about here, but really, it's more like how do you present yourself? What do you? What do your followers think you are, and how how are they contacted by you, and all that stuff? Pretty basic. Oh yeah. Then I mean, you you got to decide: Are you going to be like a wrathful god, or are you a merciful one? Do you care about justice? It's just kind of like, yeah, I don't know why you think you are going to go here first and not what am I the god of? Because everyone is going to think what am I the god of before they start thinking what's my personality. But sure, that's step one. It's fine. I mean, it, it. you're right that basically it probably should have started from primary and secondary domains, which is the uh, number three step. The number two step is choosing your symbols. So after you've chosen more or less just your name and if you're like nice or naughty, uh, then you choose like, oh, well, what do people draw when they want to represent you? Is it a cross or perhaps a triangle with an eye in it? That You know, you're, it's basically all the things that represent you on, on the mortal plane. Your, your holy symbols, the colors that people associate with you, your animals, that kind of thing. Which, again, feels like that should stem from the domains that you have. Like, if I haven't decided what my domains are, but I'm like, ah, yes, uh, I, one of my holy symbols is a cat. And then I'm like, all right, what am I playing as? Uh, well, I decided not to be a god of cats, so that's weird. <laughs> well, I mean, as long as you represent even one of the features that cats represent. If you're like, ah, I'm the god of balance, or I'm the god of wanting to go outside when I'm inside, then, you know, you kind of still can use the cat. I guess it could be helpful in that regard. But you're right, again, uh, you should start with primary and secondary domains. It's, it really should be the first thing you do. Yeah, it's going to inform all of your choices anyway, because you're not going to pick a symbol unless you already have an idea of what you want to be. It would be interesting to do it in reverse if there was, for example, a list of symbols. If they're like, here, pick one of these random-ass little icons and then decide, you know, via interpretation of your own, uh, from your own mind, what this represents you. Like, oh, this looks like a squiggle. What the hell is it? I guess I'm the god of worms. I mean, the... That kind of thing. The interesting thing is they do have random tables if you're like, hey, I just want to figure out what I am the god of and I don't give a uh, shit, you can roll yeah. a D100 and be like, oh, well, it turns out I'm the god of wealth. Great. Yeah, because the next thing you, you do is pick your primary and secondary domains. Now, primary is going to be the thing that, you know, it's it, when people ask you what you're the god of, you're going to be like, well, I'm I'm the god of thunder. That's obvious. That's my main one. And then some of the things that outgrow from being the god of thunder would be underneath that, whether they be like... Uh, I'm also, I guess, the god of storms, or the god of uh, loud noises, <laughs> or the god of fear, that that, that that sort of thing. Whatever you want to be your... They, they should all kind of interrelate to your primary domain, and you should pick one primary and three secondaries, and then, yeah, there's a big-ass list that is aggressively boring. I mean, it's just sort of your standard, what type of gods are you generally going to find some places? Yeah. Uh, I do like the... The fact that this game has 
the idea of being either you are like a monotheistic, the single God of some tribe, or you are one in a pantheon. And I feel like that's also something that, you know, you really need to know right off the gate. Cause if you're the only God for some tribe, it's going to be really hard to pick a weirder thing as your main domain. Cause if you're like, ah, yes, I am the only God for this tribe. And you know, I'm the God of, let's say loyalty. And you're like, okay, that's, <laughs> that's a weird thing for, to be the only thing that they have a God of. I mean, honestly, it's kind of weird to pick a monotheistic God and then be like, well, I'm the God of X thing as well. Really, it feels like if you're going to be monotheistic, you should be like, I am the god of these people. Like, that's what I'm the god of. I'm, I'm, I'm their shepherd, and they, they praise me. And then for my secondary domains, I would kind of pick the things that, the, that are important to them. Well, yeah. So I'd be like, I am the god of the Calusian people, and therefore my secondary jo- god titles are that I'm the god of, I don't know, fishing and uh, Wednesdays, because it's Wednesday right now, my dudes, and uh, uh, I'm also the god of dudes. <laughs> I mean... I can understand some of them. Like if you're saying I'm the God of the ocean or the desert or whatever, I'm like, okay, you could do that and be monotheistic and just have it be like, oh yeah, this is where we live. And this is the God of where we live. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, if you were like, I'm the God of the sun, then sure. You could be like, oh yeah, that's the one God. I can see it. It's right there. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, for no, some of them, sense. if you're just like, I'm the god of justice, you're like, uh, what? <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like the yeah, the more esoteric the concept, the harder it's gonna be, harder it's going to be to not be a pantheon god. So if you're like, well, I'm the god of boomerangs, then then yeah, your your followers are probably going to be either very very boomerang centric, <laughs> or you probably shouldn't have picked that. Yeah. Okay. So um. <sighs> Now, after you pick your primary and secondary domains, you're going to want to pick Inclinations, because this game is extremely dependent on the concept of miracles. Yep, Uh, and this is going to be one of the only actual rules things that occur in here, because (laughs) there are four different types of miracles, and you have to choose one you're good at, two you're just sort of fine with, and one you are bad at. Yeah, and it will change the cost of them when you're picking them. And the the thing is, yes, it is one of the very few rule choices you have to make, but functionally, it doesn't fucking do anything. So, I mean, the, the four inclinations are creation, destruction, transformation, and control. Uh, now, when you actually get down to miracles, you'll see there are only two kinds of miracles. Uh, innovation, which is the creation of objects, and alteration, which is the transformation of things. Now, you may think to yourself, wait, weren't two of the fa- the uh, inclinations creation and transformation? Yeah, don't worry about it. They're similar, but not identical. <laughs> well, it's because innovation isn't just creating things. Innovation means things that didn't exist before, like I make a human fly. I didn't give him wings or anything. He just flies now, and he didn't before. No, oh, yeah, you, you gave him a, an ability he didn't previously have. But it's weird because you could use alteration to be like, and that human grows wings. You're just not supposed to. I mean, um, you can. It yeah. Would, well, technically, you wouldn't use alteration to do that because, again, innovation is anything that didn't exist before and isn't natural. So even right, if I, you were like, you get wings, that would still be, okay, well, now I guess it would be a 
transformation type miracle instead yeah, and of transformation something. specifically says that it is consistently a creation miracle uh in a lot of cases so in, in any event most uh, once again I, I said this earlier but but all four of these inclinations can be used to generate exceptionally similar tools because you could be like well i'm the i i chose my primary inclination my favorite one that i'm in harmony with is destruction so uh i am very good at summoning meteors and i am i am very good at at uh rending lightning bolts that crash down upon my enemies and what have you. But then you look at someone who's like, well, I'm a creation specialist. I'm in harmony with creation. I create a volcano. It's just, you can use them to create very similar effects. So it's, despite the fact that it's more or less the only choice you make, it's not that much of a choice when you actually are down in the meat looking at what it does. Well, I'm going to go ahead and go to bat for the game here in that... Please, go ahead. The game itself really does say that the... Because when you're doing a miracle, you're pretty much just saying, what's the end result of what you want? Yeah, there's two types of dice modification. That's all these things, every single one of them, that's all they do. But what I'm saying is, if you go, oh, I want to create a volcano, you're like, okay, what's the end result of your miracle? What are you trying to do? And if it was, oh, I want to kill off this, like, competing village, you're like, okay, that's destruction. It doesn't matter that you created a volcano that's a destruction thing that's fair but ultimately where i'm coming from isn't so much so that you can kind of weasel word your way around any miracle and any other miracle so much as a a creation miracle and a destruction miracle do the exact same thing in game turns which is what assuming that they're both a uh let's say an infer innovation miracle they add dice to a pool where dice previously were not well yeah it's both of them do the exact same thing it's just the inclinations are the way in which you would go about accomplishing something, like what is your mm-hmm. goal, and then the other ones, the innovation or alteration is just, okay, but is this actually creating something new, or is it just changing what's already there? Right, so really, boiled down, this is a flavor choice. It looks like you're choosing what kind of rules you like to interact with, but it is a flavor choice. Nah, it it really does matter for your things. Because if I go, hey, I'm a control god, like that's my main thing. I'm awesome at being able to be like, I mind control motherfuckers. I can make like animals do whatever I want. I can turn, you know, an army into cowards or whatever. But if I say like, oh, but I'm bad at transformation and I want to... I don't know, make that army into sheep, literal sheep, then that's harder for me. That's true. You got you got to, you're right. You're absolutely right. But again, that's a flavor function because the difference between an army that is all cowards and an army that is all sheep when you're boiling it down to the rules that the game plays under is nil. Both times you're, you're both like, oh, these guys have worse dice than they used to have. That's what that is. They have worse dice and they have worse dice in the same amount and the same way. The only difference is description. Which, uh, granted, is very important because description is pretty much the majority of the things that this game has to offer. I mean, yeah, basically everything you do is let me describe how and what my miracle is. Yeah. So ultimately, you're right. It's very important. But I'm also right in that it doesn't really change all that much. All right. After that, uh, you've picked one that you're in harmony with and one that you oppose. Then you get followers, the people who worship you. You get 100 done just write down 100 that's how many you have it's not a thing you have to think about 
Yeah. Uh, the only the fo- problem with that is they're like, you get a hundred followers. They generate 20 belief every year for you. And, uh, you have 10% of them per each stat. Cause the stats for mortals are, uh, body, mind, and spirit. And mm-hmm. 10% of your tribe has a good body, 10% good mind, 10% good spirit. You can mess with those if you want, as long as you keep it to 70-30. And then you have the option of devout followers. And that's where you're like, oh, you shouldn't have put that in there because there's no reason not to. Yeah, so devout followers generate, I think it's double belief, is that yep. right? Okay, so devout followers generate double belief. And belief in this game is the uh, the basically the mana. It's the It's the thing you spend to cast miracles. You get belief if you win conflicts. You lose belief if you if you uh, lose conflicts. Uh, you gain belief at the end of each year during your kind of holy season uh, by counting your number of followers. And, and uh, you get two belief per 10 followers. Unless they're devout, then you get four per 10 followers. Note that it's two per 10, not one per five. If you have five followers, you get nothing. Um, Good day, sir. <laughs> yeah. So that so cor- you're correct. You have fifty. You have hundred followers to start, which means at the end of your first year, they will automatically generate you twenty belief. If you choose them to be devout, they will automatically generate forty belief. The only difference between devout followers and non-devout followers is that devout followers will become non-devout followers unless you spend a miracle on them at some point during the year. Miracles are the only thing you do, and. When it comes down to later in the book, when you're looking at it, your, like, people that you are in charge of, your followers, they pretty much have to have miracles spent on them anyway, because you either, well, it's either they get a loss of faith if you don't, so your regular followers would turn into like, oh, we generate less belief. Or if you spend too much on them, they become dependent, and now you have to give them, like, a lot of your miracle points. But you're going to spend at least one. Like, there's nothing else for you to do, so you're basically... Yeah, that's the only mechanic. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, you... you can spend... You start with 50 belief. In a year, you could do the world's shittiest who gives a crap miracle that costs you two belief and does nothing, but you still spent a miracle on them. So fuck it. They're devout still. Yeah. So there's no reason to not choose devout followers. You, you absolutely mathematically, you just should, uh, the followers generate belief automatically at the end of each of your year cycles. That's when they, they, they spit it out. You choose, basically you choose a, a, a season to be in alignment with as well spring summer winter fall uh you do this by choosing where your god's special magic house is in which one of those four celestial (laughs) seasonal heavens uh then that season becomes your special season and that's when your your maintenance uh, belief harvesting phase is uh you only get belief from followers who were followers since the last maintenance cycle which means that no matter what you do in the first year of play in this game, the maximum belief you can harvest from your followers is 20 because you started with 100 followers. You could add a million. It doesn't matter. They won't start generating until next year. Yep. And uh, God, there, there's the conversion is pretty much the number one goal of the game. You want to build a big-ass army of humans to generate more beliefs so you can do more and crazier miracles. Well, yeah, because the more followers you have, the more you get. And the more belief you get, 
the better the stuff that you can do is. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it really does just from a like, oh, this is probably the best thing you can do as a new God standpoint. It really does play a lot like a sort of 4X board game where you're like, yeah, the best thing you want to do to start with is go explore, get some new territory, get more people, you know, establish yourself in a larger area, and then you can worry about doing other stuff. And that is nothing but pretty much the same actions. thing here. Yeah, you just want to convert, convert, convert for your first year so that you can maximize your amount of belief that you're going to start generating in year two. Now, of course, uh, okay. you converting is not spending any miracles on your people, so you do have to spend some of your belief on maintenance of your folks, but the oh, lion's yes. share of it is going to go towards, I need more people for my next year. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, okay. Notably, they start out as Stone Age tool users. So while the old, the, you spent, before this, you spent about a third of the book reading about these amazing mystical cities full of like div libraries and magic contraptions and so on. And then you're like, by the way, your society is spear users living in mud huts. Yeah. You got and I, I, Neolithic people that maybe know how to farm and raise livestock and whatnot, but are basically just, I've got a hammer made out of a rock and that's about it. So you get them, and uh, I mean, ostensibly the goal is that as you play through the decades, they should get more and more technologically advanced. There isn't really a rule set for that. Uh, I, I, it's, I think it's primarily just a descriptive thing. You're supposed to be like, all right, well, my people have been around for 10 years, and yes, I've raised a mighty army by conversion and, and increasing their die results when they do combat, so I'll just say that's because they've invented the bow? I, I don't I don't know. Mm, mm, um, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> belief you start with 50 but don't get cocky 50 is more than twice as much as you're going to generate at the end of the first year so be careful with it yeah yeah the uh, uh <laughs> the next thing you're going to do after you get your tribe because you're just going to sort of go all right these are i don't know fishermen or whatever type of thing you want to be uh mm -hmm. you're don't you're going to get your belief you're going to get what type of miracles you do which again, is mostly just associated with what your domains and your inclinations are. Yeah, it's wild that they have a section there for, like, pick your miracles, given that there aren't really miracles to pick. They're all custom-built at the time you do them. Oh, yeah. I mean, they have a small section towards the back of, like, here's a list of sample miracles so you can kind of understand how the system works, but mostly you're just going to figure out whatever you want to do and say, I do, meh, and then figure out the cost. Yeah. Uh, but after that, you got to figure out your commandments and, mm -hmm. you know, you just, this is the things you want your followers to do or not do. They're pretty straightforward with why these exist and what they are as well. You pick out a couple rules and it's primarily so that your people can recognize each other and recognize everyone else as the other. Oh, so yeah. You have to be like, and uh, it's, yeah, okay. on, on t go ahead. Oh, you just, you have rules. So you're like, ah, oh, Yes. This is the thing I have to follow to keep my God happy. So it just, it sort of helps belief stay in place. If you're like, ah, mm -hmm. yeah, they have to do a certain thing. And now that they do that, just sort of by habit, that's a good thing. And like you said, it also establishes that there is an in-group and an out-group. Mm-hmm. And thus keeping people in your belief more efficiently. 
You're not supposed to pick ones that are going to be impossible for your people. I do find it very weird how much of this book is, it's not much, but it's enough that it's unusual, given over to just sort of description of players being weirdly cruel to their own people, where they're just like, I infect a hooker in my town with a disease that makes people's dicks fall off. And I'm like, why? <laughs> what, what, what possible, I, there's no part where it's like, by the way, if you do mean things to your people, uh, you get different. I mean, you get terror if you fucking scare them, but terror is a bad thing. So, any anyway. Well, I mean, the um, the prostitute example thing you gave was I inflict this on a different tribe to fuck them over. Oh, okay, that's fair. I I didn't even know. I guess that makes sense then. Uh, okay, then you choose worship details, which is just how your people will worship you, and if they have any holidays and junk, you need to definitely pick at least one big deal holiday during your big deal season. Uh, yep. And I think that's pretty much everything you need to know for character creation. The only other thing they mentioned during the character creation section is the process of incarnation. If you would like to go down and walk amongst your people as a god man or god lady. Oh, they also By have, the way, if you got to create your house in the celestial realm. Because it's oh, not yeah. enough to just it's... say, I live in the eternal winter realm. You're like, okay, but what does that mean? You're like, oh, well, I guess if I'm the god of, like water then i should have a lot of water features in there and have like an ice castle whereas if i was say the god of hunting i would have like a big hunting lodge with elk and shit roaming around you just have to kind of decide what does the afterlife look for your good followers which is it it ends up being kind of amusing because they say like by the way all the miracles are free when you're in your home domain and if you're in other parts of god town that aren't your home domain all the miracles are half cost and you're like, wow, that yeah, sounds if you just awesome. Just want to fuck around get... and do some some free god stuff. Go for it. Until you get down and look at what the miracles can do, and you realize that they would be completely fucking pointless to spend time up in your home realm, fucking creating lightning bolts or whatever. You're impressing people who can't give you belief, or shooting damage at people who can't take damage. Yeah, but you're thinking of it as damage. I'm thinking of it as someone playing Sims and is like, all right, well, I want this color wallpaper. And I know, I, exactly. No, I you're absolutely right. It's, the, it's the Sims. For my topiaries. I just find it amusing that they, they have this delineation between half cost and no cost for when you're in a realm where nothing makes sense in either place. Why not say miracles are free all the way throughout heaven and just who gives a shit? If you go into someone else's heaven, you're like, fuck it, I created a tower over here. Big deal. It's an infinite space. I mean, It's not that <laughs> impressive to be like, that was half cost. It's especially silly because you're like, okay... So what are you going to do with that? It's not like if you attack a god in heaven, there are really rules for that. You're just sort of being a dick at each other. And even if you are like, ah, I created a tower in your territory. He's like, all right, I freely destroy it. Meh. <laughs> exactly. It's just, it, it's funny that they they even bother to include rules for like the cost of uh, changing when it's completely meaningless. Like if you want to say, by the way, do, whatever, do cool shit in heaven because it's important to the role-playing aspect, that's fine, but... The the uh, the rules they've assigned to it are, are valueless. They they just they they feel completely set dressingy. Oh yeah, I mean it's the it's the sort of thing where you're like, yeah, if I'm playing the God of Storms and I want to say, oh, I roll up to my buddy's god domain in the celestial realm, and because I'm the God of Storms, I want to ride in on a storm cloud and have thunder announce me. You're like, great, cool, that's a miracle. That's some cool set dressing you have. Unfortunately, it costs you belief that you could spend on useful things to describe yourself showing up at a friend's house. 
yeah, so maybe don't. Anyway, we got to really skip this along. I'm less than halfway through my notes. By the way, if you if you do choose to be a god lady, uh, go ahead and just don't take a shirt because all the art of women in this entire book is topless. Hey, you know, sometimes <laughs> you don't want to wear a shirt. <laughs> I just found that by the time I had encountered the third, like, super huge titted anime lady, I was just like, okay, I kind of get the theme here. I, I get where you're going with this. Free the nipple. Free it. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm all for that in real life. I just find it hilarious when, when the book is completely full of, like, full topless cheesecakes. Huh. Anyway, uh, moving back to the thing. We, we're, we do need to skip along here. Uh, let's talk about conflict. And that's pretty much the only yeah, other thing say, that is this game. let's get to the actual resolution system. Yeah, which I have, like, six pages of crap on. But it, it's pretty much the only thing in the game. Uh, so why don't you start here? Okay. So the entire system is based off of uh, dice that you will roll between a D4 and a D12 mm -hmm. and the number of dice that you roll and the size of die that you roll is completely determined by the scale of what you are doing and how good the people doing it are. Uh, mm -hmm. Because most of this game Unless you decide to like, oh, I come down and walk among my followers. Most of it is just going to be your followers doing stuff. So scale is a big thing. Like if you're yeah. doing something that's just between one and nine people, that's an individual scale. And the game has a thing called the token size. So for an mm -hmm. individual scale, the token size is one, which means for every one person, you get one die. When you mm -hmm. go one up token, to the next level, by one die. Uh, household is from 10 to 99 people, and the token size then goes to 10. So if you had nine people, you would have nine dice. If you mm -hmm. went to 10 people, you would have one die, but you increase the scale now. And that's yes. only really going to be super useful. Uh, you might think, oh, well... I would rather have nine people fight ten people because nine dice is going to be way better than one die. But mm -hmm. they have rules yeah, for rules. how you get fucked by that. <laughs> Very much so. So your average person, that your average follower that you have, has a D6 for mind, body, and spirit. Now, you don't roll those when you create a person because you never create a person. Uh, you roll them whenever they engage in conflict. You just pick those dice up and roll them. Uh, so if you're rolling, if you have, if you say five on five combat between one of your tribe, your people, five of your people and five of some other tribes of people, you pick up five D six, they pick up five D six, they roll them. Uh, whoever has the highest die out of those rolled dice wins and inflicts, uh, I, I believe inflict. I've got my damage chart written, written down here somewhere. Well, the, the, what you do is you look at how many dice did your, uh, high damage die beat against their dice their highest die so if you roll a five and a four and their highest number was a three then you have two dice that succeed and get through to them yeah so at that point you're like all right whatever you do the damage or if you're like i'm rolling mind i'm trying to convince people of something the amount of things you affect is a token per success so in that mm -hmm. example, if we had a four and a five versus their high of a three, 
that means two tokens would be affected. So two people mm-hmm. in an individual scale. So in that 5v5, now it's a 5v3. Right. Uh, so that's basically it. If you have Now, I mentioned earlier that, the, that your basic person has a d6 in all their stats, but 30% of your people are going to have a higher one of those stats. So yeah, if so you if, have... Say it, in that 5v5, you had your d8 body guys, your actual, like, your tribe's cool warriors go out and fight then they'd be rolling 5d8 versus the other tribe's 5d6. Mm-hmm. And this works the same way for every kind of conflict, because if you have them get in a debate, they're rolling their mind dice. And if you have them trying to convert each other to various gods and speak on matters of spirituality, or if they're doing magic, they roll their spirit dice. So they, they just you just choose what kind of conflict it is and then throw those dice at that conflict. Now, John mentioned the outnumbering rule. Let's say that there were 11 people on one side and eight people on the other side. You'd think, okay, either 11 dice versus 8 dice or 8 dice versus 1 die. And it actually turns into 1 die versus 1 die, but because the 8 die side is super outnumbered, they are they lose two die category sizes. So if they were D8s, now they're D4s. Yeah, you get pretty much double fucked by being outnumbered in this game because mm-hmm. the scale token size is always determined by the largest force. So it doesn't matter if I have nine people and you have 10, the token size is now 10. So we both roll one die, but because I outnumber you, you go down to die size. So the nine people fighting against the 10 people, all of a sudden is a, like, if you're saying even my elites, my D8s go to a D4 versus their D6 now, which seems... yeah now real punishing but at least the game includes the hey if it's nine people versus ten people just round the fucking nine people up yeah this sort of thing really only occurs and causes problems at the low level combat scale which is a bummer because you start with a hundred people so you're likely to start with a bunch of very small combats because when you're looking at like oh i'm fighting an army of ten thousand against an army of nine thousand nine hundred and fifty five you're gonna be like fuck it they both get one die at the ten thousand scale who cares yeah but with uh, but, this, the whole like, okay, but what if it's eight people versus 12 people? And you're like, I don't, I don't want to have to keep making adjudications for these weird corner cases. Yeah. Yeah. So basically this works for every kind of fighting or conflict you're going to get into. Uh, if you find giant lizards that you need to murder in the jungle, then the, uh, the God in charge of all the fate will assign a dice pool for, to the, uh, to the lizards and it, it, you, there's special rules for if you want to get away, where you have to, like, sacrifice some of your humans so that other humans might live. Yeah, there's <laughs> the ability to do certain things like, oh, I want to split up. I'll, split, mm-hmm. I'll put, like, some dice over here and I'll leave whatever over here. So you might say, like, yeah, I've got a hundred people, which is normally village size. But you could say, oh, I'm going to send, like... 50 to stay here and 50 to go run and get help. All right, well, you drop down to household size and the other group goes and runs off. If the people you're fighting are like, well, I want to go run down your 50 that are running away. They can try and split off as well. There's a lot of weirdly intricate rules for a game that up until this point was, tell me how cool your God is. 
weirdly, tell me how cool your God is pops right back up at this point as well. Because you might think to yourself, okay, well, until I get a whole lot of power, like whether I can cast miracles more freely or I have a lot more well-trained soldiers and brilliant thinkers and so on in my in my society, uh, it feels like I'm going to be rolling a lot of ties. Because every time you're like, fuck it, I throw 10 humans at your 10 humans. Or, or let's say nine. I throw nine humans at your nine humans. Roll 96 and I will also roll nine, 96. Oh, what do you know? We got a lot of ties. There's a lot of sixes here. Well, the winner of ties goes to whoever described their shit the coolest, according to Fate, the DM. Yeah, which so I feel like should just be ties go to the player because, like... Well, this game is supposed to be very PvP-bent. Eh, I mean, you should, in my opinion, just be a pantheon. Oh, I mean, no, you're, you're not wrong there. Absolutely, but this game, the the, uh, the writing of it suggests consistently, not just the way it's written, but like in text, it's like, hey, this is a PvP game. Your players are going to be attacking each other all the fucking time, and that's good. That's what it's about. I mean, I I didn't really get that until you got to the board game, because I feel like no, until right. you get to that point, it's just, hey, you've got some people trying, you know, make your people better. Once you get to the board game, it's like, yeah, you're playing a competitive board game, so obviously you're fighting each other. I could see tie goes to the player, especially because otherwise it goes like, well, the DM has to decide who who came up with the best description, a player or the DM. Yeah, and there's <laughs> and no good place to be there. <laughs> that's not a happy decision to have to make. Uh, now, you may think to yourself, well, that sucks. That means I'm going to be constantly getting outnumbered and so on, uh, or... Uh, Every time I, I send out people into the wilderness, if they encounter like one more lizard than I sent out there, they're going to get ruined. Well, that's why you have miracles. Yep. You can use your miracles to make the conflict easier in whatever way you really want to. If it's actually important to you to be like, you know, maybe you sent your tribe sent out some scouts and it was like three people died. And you don't want to spend belief on those three. Sure. But if it is, if you're like, no, but these are three of my D8 guys and I want to keep them alive, you can do whatever. You could be like, I use a destruction miracle to kill some of the guys. I use a creation one to even up the odds so that you've got like two stone guys to help you. Yeah. Now, no matter what you actually do, there are two ways it plays out. You can either, well, technically there are four ways it it can play out. And here are the four. You can increase the die size of the dice that you sent out into the world by armoring up your humans or inspiring them to new heights or giving them great ideas. You can add dice to your number of dice that you sent out into the world. So you can be like, oh, soldiers or or uh, creatures from the forest run forth to join you in battle. Or you can reverse those to your opponents. You can say, like, I uh, afflict a pox upon my opponents and reduce their die size or... I hit them with a fucking lightning bolt and kill three of them. So they have three less dice. Yeah, and that's it. That's what every miracle does. One of those things or more than one of those things. And you pay for both of uh, pay the cost again. Yep. Uh, and that's, it, I mean, the miracles themselves have an entirely different thing for cost because innovation and alteration we mentioned have their own power costs between the two of them, depending on, how powerful is the thing you're doing? And it goes uh, five different steps from trivial to legendary with increased mm-hmm. costs. Then with, you have uh, to look at uh, what type of like 
uh, effect you are doing as far as is this in your domain? Is this in your uh, like inclinations? So that can affect the cost. It can also, and also cost factors. Yep. Well, that's part of the cost factor really is, is this a thing you are good at? Is this a yeah. thing that you are bad at? How long is this effect going to last? Uh, mm-hmm. Is it taking Are you in place... your own domain? Yeah, is it taking place in a place you control, or is it someone else's control? And all of that ends up generating a number. Uh, you'll take that number, compare it against a chart, and that chart will produce a actual factor. Because when I first started reading this, I was like, I wish they wouldn't use factor when everything is additive. Fa- factor defies, or describes multiplication. Um but by the time you finish doing all this adding and you're like, all right, my cost factor is plus three, then there is a chart you go to and it says like factor is plus three, multiply the base cost by seven. Yeah, the and that, and- <laughs> the uh, the factors can also be reduced, though. So if mm-hmm. I'm casting something that's within my primary domain, like if I am the god of storms and I want to help out my adventurers by lightning bolting some dude, you're like. Cool. Lightning bolt, that's within my domain. It's minus mm-hmm. two to the the factor. Yeah. Which is great because if you want to do anything on a large scale as well, that's gonna up your cost. So if I wanted to kill like ten people, that's plus one to the scale. Mm-hmm. Uh and of course, if I'm taking away dice, then I've gotta go up past trivial because what the hell trivial doesn't do anything in alteration miracles. <laughs> Yes, technically, trivial alteration miracles don't do anything. It's not just that we discovered a secret mistake in the book or anything. There's a chart for what tri- for what miracles of both types do at both levels, and under trivial alteration, doesn't do anything is what it says there. Yep, no effect for trivial, which means if you really wanted to, a trivial alteration miracle costs you to belief, and then you could be like, all right, I want to trivially make this town better at weaving all right well you're doing it on the village scale which is plus two you're not the god of weaving so unfortunately that's going to be uh plus one to the cost turns out nothing affects your village but you did have to pay 12 for it yeah now there is actually a use for useless uh alteration miracles because one of the things you can do in this game is inflict terror on people by being evil gods. And terror is what the bad guy gods use, the Leviathans. But you can use it too, and if you use it too much, you become a Leviathan. And the only way to, or there's a couple ways to get rid of it. One of them is do miracles that don't increase terror, like useless miracles that are bad and scary but don't increase anybody's terror specifically. So if you spend a year being trivially spooky, you can ditch your terror, and I think that's the only functional use for those. Yeah, and it's not even for belief. It's literally just for terror because terror is belief by a different name, but the mechanic is you can only spend terror to do miracles that cause terror, and Mm -hmm. whoever you cast a miracle on, they are immune to terror miracles of that level or below. So if I spend a significant terror miracle... I'm like, cool, I generated a bunch of terror. Uh, Oops, I shouldn't have done that because since terror can only create more terror, I'm on a slippery slope to if I have half as much terror as I do belief, I turn into a Leviathan and I'm now an NPC monster. 
Well, right. I can luckily now... you could just fill the <laughs> yeah. You, can you just can... fill the town with spooky ghosts. You can cast a minor or trivial terror miracle, and it doesn't do anything because you've already done a significant. So you'd have to do something better for it to actually generate terror. So you can just shit out garbage that sucks. Yeah, and you can do it on like a, a ridiculous scale. You can be like, I afflict a hundred thousand people with a terrifying chill. And none of them care at all, but oh, yeah. it still cost me 28 terror. Well, because you're like, what did you do? Well, I terrorized this village and I sent like spooky demons. All right. What did you do after that? I made it chilly. They don't care. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, okay. So at this point you start with these miracles in play, you're going to be doing a lot of like, okay, uh, you guys encounter a giant in the woods and he he has a D12 that he's going to be rolling against you at a household scale because he's a monster. So even though there's only one of him, he treats himself as a household scale D10. And you're like, okay, well, there's only there's only eight of us and we're D8, so this isn't going to go very well. And so as a god, you go, well, I uh, summon two more rock soldiers to come forth and help. And I, I, I equip everybody with shining golden armor of the gods. Uh, and now it's slightly better than even odds average we're 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 gonna be winning and then it's like oh well it turns out that giant is is under the purview of a dark leviathan and he inflicts the giant with a miracle that duplicates him so there's two giants and you go back and forth like this until everybody finally decides to roll and then the winner gets to affect that token probably eliminating the giant and harvest uh belief and faith while the loser loses belief and faith uh, via a similar mathematical equation for how to determine how much you gain and lose. Yeah, I mean, as long as you're actually going against another god. If it was just, there's some giant and you beat it, you're not really taking belief away from some god. I mean, granted, almost every giant is represented by some friggin' god of giants named, like, Kathukaluk or whatever, so... you, you I mean, but ultimately, you're right. You can, you can run into natural crap in the woods and not have to worry about a, a miracle fight. Yeah, and I mean... Most of the miracle nonsense is you can do counter miracles. So it's like, mm -hmm. oh, I send a tornado to fuck up your town. Ah, well, I make the wind current shift and force the tornado to your town. Aha, I see. Well, I create a celestial eagle that picks up that tornado coming to my town and drops it on your town. Yes. Um... Uh... It, it, it just basically is a dick kicking contest and really boils down to who has more faith because all the miracles are pretty close to identical. So there's not a lot of, um, you know, you can't be smart and win this. You just go, I have more faith. Eventually I'm going to win. And then the dice decide. Yeah. And it's a lot easier to essentially counter a uh, miracle than it is to inflict one because uh, if I create a tornado and go send it to, like, destroy a town, that's an innovation. I made a tornado where there wouldn't normally be a tornado. That yeah. costs more than alteration, but if I want to counter that miracle, I can just say, oh, well, you know, your miracle actually, like, turns away and goes the other direction. I am now altering your miracle, so it's alteration, so it costs less. It's not just that either. It also straight up gets a minus one cost factor adjustment for being a counter miracle. So they are a lot cheaper. But the thing is, because there are counter counter miracles, it, it once again just reverts into a cheap dick kicking contest. Yeah, it's just silly. Uh, mm -hmm. The other it's thing fun, you can though. spend belief on uh, that's going to be your big spenders 
for most of the things is making either heroes or artifacts because these right, are right. permanent ex- well permanent in that you have to make them last for a long goddamn time yeah, they're uh, permanent-esque yeah because there are some drawbacks you can do to reduce the cost and one of them is you always have to update this mm-hmm because normally it'd be like if I create an artifact every year, I would have to re-up my belief into this artifact. So if I create, if I'm Loki and I create the mask, then every year mm-hmm. I got to respend to keep the mask alive. Yes. Uh, now, it's a lot like creating a wand in D&D, because what you do is you imbue miracles into a hero or an artifact, and let's make it clear, heroes and artifacts are identical in this game. There is no difference. The only difference is that there's a threat that a hero, if you pay, if you get, let them get too powerful, will be like, you know what, maybe I should be a god, where an artifact doesn't do that because it's a fucking sword. Yeah. Um, so, realistically, you should never make heroes, because they come with a bunch of slippery slope shit, where swords are swords. Yeah, but if you um, make a hero, that hero could go wander around doing stuff for you. Yeah, but if you make a sword, you could take a regular guy, give him the sword, and he'll wander around doing stuff for you, and he won't get any delusions of godhood or nothing. Yeah, but then that guy's real easy to kill. <laughs> Got me there. That's true, unless the sword specifically is a sword of making it hard to kill the guy who's holding it. Uh, but basically, you imbue these things with miracles, and they can cast miracles without your imbuement. So it's really a lot like making a wand of cure light wounds or a necklace of fireballs or whatever. Oh, yeah, because if you want to be like, uh, I make it so that one of my priests is a faith healer, then I basically do just go, I imbue you with the miracle of curing wounds. Uh, there, You look at the chart, it works the exact same way as creating a normal miracle. You just have to always make the duration permanent so Mm -hmm. no matter what the duration is going to add a plus three to your cost factor which just sort of means it's always going to be more expensive than if you were like i shoot a lightning bolt that's zero to the cost because it's instant but if i want to make a sword that shoots lightning bolts now it's a permanent so it has to be a plus three right yeah, and then you also do have to re-up investitures of belief in these things at the end of every one of your maintenance cycles to keep them functional for you. There's just a little extra tax you pay at the end of the year. Yeah, now uh, keep it them, is... keep them running around. It's slightly cheaper for re-upping. Whatever your cost factor was, it's minus one for uh, re-imbuing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can never get below one, so if it was like, I spent five, I had a cost factor of one, I still have to spend five. And yeah, yeah, and at that point, you pretty much there's nothing really left to talk about but uh, maintenance, which is the thing that you do at the end of the every year, where you you uh, check in with your followers, make sure they still believe in you and crap, uh, and start up on your next year with a new stack of belief. Uh, yep. There is an optional table you can roll on during the maintenance and faith cycle to kind of, I guess, spice up your day by being like, oh, does a random thing occur that changes stuff about your year? Yeah, and it's, uh, like, 60% is nothing particularly of note happened, but there's mm-hmm. a bunch of nonsense that could be good or bad for you, you know. There's one in there that I found particularly funny because it immediately called to my, into my mind the fact that the, that something had been bugging me the whole time, and here it is being solved for me. There is, uh, if you roll a 3 or 4 on percentile dice, so a, a 2% chance... Your people are fruitful and multiply, and you gain one follower for every ten followers that you currently have. And up until that point, I have been like, okay, well, the only way to gain followers in this game is to convert new ones. 
What about the kids? Where are the kids? Yeah. The uh That's the only way to get them. There is uh I think there's a way to get more people like outside of that. I know there is outside in the, of the, conversion in the cycle? board game. Which is Yeah, in the board weird. game there definitely is. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, at a certain point, we have to talk briefly about how there's... I, I barely read the board game section. I was like, I know we don't have time for this. Oh, it's uh, it's essentially... Uh, like when I said that there was a scale token, it uses that literally. So you'll mm-hmm. be like, all right, here's the tokens I have. Uh, there are three colors of tokens. Uh, yeah, white, black, and red. And it depends In this on case, if they are doing fine, doing poor, or are armies. Yes, and in this case, this is a rare case where when I say I barely read something, I don't actually mean I didn't read it. <laughs> Normally, when I say I barely read this section, it means I saw that section and fucking skipped it. But this time I read it, and I just didn't give a shit. Because I was like, we don't, we're, there's no way we're going to have time. Oh yeah. There's all this stuff about different types of terrain and how you can interact with it and advanced irrigation techniques and uh, how you can build farmland and mines and stuff. You would do stuff in civilization. You have construction mm-hmm. projects. You could be like, I want to build a temple. It takes four seasons for a temple to be made. So I'm going to have to wait four years for that to actually happen. But once it does, I generate more belief. Or, you know, you can make an armory to make your uh, armies better. So you've got a whole bunch of stuff that's like, okay, well, this takes however much time to do. But once it's done, you get a little bonus and. You've got rules for how long it takes for someone to say, go migrate to a new tile and set up a camp there. Uh, it's It really is just a 4X game that runs on whatever this engine is. Yeah, and it's pretty fascinating, honestly. I feel like if they had focused on that instead of the role-playing game, they probably they might have even done better here. Because there's a whole bunch of shit that I encountered when I was reading through the strategic board game where, where all I could think is, why isn't this shit in the role-playing game? Oh, yeah, there's plenty of rules for like, oh, at the end of the season, do you get more people? There's a better chance if there's more room for them to grow. So if you're like, I'm in a lush land that can support like four tokens and I only have one there, then it's very likely that I'll get more tokens. But yeah, you don't exactly. really have that in the main game. Yeah, it, it's weird. Now, they do suggest that you learn both games and use the board game for when things aren't super zeroed in on a specific event happening and the role-playing game for when things are. So you, you spend most of your time in board game mode as your your populace survives and expands over the decades, but then when it's like, oh, it's time for the climactic showdown with the god battle of against the Salamander Warriors, then you zoom into role-playing game mode for that fight. Yeah, I like that aspect of it as far as being able to be like, you can zoom out or zoom in as much as you want. Yeah. Uh, I mean, granted, I think that the board game overall is a little better, honestly, so I would almost definitely want to stay in it most of the time. Yeah. Uh. But anyway, um, yeah, it's just, it, it is certainly a very interesting thing that uh, uh, as you're making your way through this book, you're like, wait, there's a whole other game in here? Yeah. And it's neat. It is. It's got some yeah. cool stuff. 
Then there is a big section of examples. Example, uh, there's an example adventure. There's an example uh, set of uh, miracles that you could choose from and use to basically give you an idea of what they look like as you start scaling in factors and so on. And there's an example pantheon where it's just like, ah, this is the god of the night and this is the god of animals and here's what they look like. And they all have zero XP, so they actually look exactly like what you would get if you built your own characters. Yep. So, I mean, this game doesn't have XP, but you know what I mean. They don't have any more fault. They're first-year characters. They don't have any more belief than you would start with. Yeah. And then, you know, you get a quick description of what the elder races actually are, which is mostly just elemental things. Like, gnomes are actually just rock dwarves. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've got uh, the undines, which are just mermaids that can get legs if they want to. Yep, the uh, the salamanders are dragon-born-like things that can sprout wings and fly if they would like to. Uh, the sylphs are probably the most interesting one. They're wood-dwelling the nymph-type things that notably exist outside the scale of all the everybody worshipping gods and being supported by gods. They're Gnostic and worship themselves, and they gain belief that way, too. And also, they're like weird little bat people, which is great. <laughs> well, yeah, that- you've got a strong penchant for little weird bat people i do but it's also like all the other ones are like this is a mermaid this is a dragon guy this is a dwarf but the the sylphs are like oh it's a weird little bat person and they're gnostic and you're like that's great i want a solipsistic bat person yeah they're way more interesting than all the other elder and and the problem the elder races as neat and interesting as they are described you it's going to be forever in this game before you ever encounter any of them because they're way better than your starting neolithic 100 cavemen situation oh yeah plus if you do go like oh i want to go meet some of them you're like yeah their gods are going to beat the shit out of you if you try and miracle at them at all they're just going to go no countered get out yeah so, like I was saying, the first chunk of this book feels poorly sta- included because it's supposed to be an idea of what the world is like, but that's not what the game world is like. The game world is largely, you hang out in a Neolithic cave village. Every once in a while, you fight a dog in the woods. Ah. So, that's it's it's just kind of interesting that it starts with the high-level experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is one miracle I thought was kind of interesting because I had mentioned that there are no ways to get kids in this game other than that one percentage thing. It's it's a, a creation miracle called God Seed, and it's basically just, hey, did you want to do you know Christianity stuff? Did you want to have God a Jesus? Seed. Yeah, God Seed, a young virgin awakens pregnant, visited by the god in the middle of the night. In the event of a par- barren woman conceiving, it becomes a major innovation, and the cost is twenty eight. Normally, the cost is twenty. Great now. That's the full description. It, it doesn't do anything. I mean, like it does. It doesn't even add. It doesn't add dice to anything. It, it just gives you another guy. Yeah, you got a guy now. It doesn't have that part included in the rules. Even it doesn't be like add another follower. It it, it literally ends after it becomes a major innovation of creation, and the cost is twenty eight. Mm. So they forgot to include like, you know, why would you? I, I guess the idea was. When you're like, okay, well, uh, your town is under spiritual assault from another town. You're like, okay, I will do this as a conversion miracle, I guess, by having a virgin give birth and some. But it, it it feels when you're just reading, you're like, wait, what does that do? Wait, nothing. It does nothing. Okay. I mean, I guess the you just sort of look at it and go, well, it's a major miracle of creation that happened. So I I guess it's just a belief generator. Yeah, pretty much just that. 
All right. Well, we should probably call it because it's time for us to uh, to get to our favorites and least favorites, and all right, and go start the next thing. Let's so, John, what would you say is your favorite thing about this game? Uh, I actually really like the fact that for the most part, turns are done on like a yearly basis because mm-hmm. you're playing as a god. It's not like, ah, yes, I care about what's happening every day. You're like, no, you are, even at the most zoomed in level, you are zoomed out to like, I'm only going to give a shit about you like maybe three or four times a year. Like, there's not a whole lot I'm going to care about here. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. It's interesting that it it lets you do it however you would like to as well. You do have to do a yearly maintenance check-in to get your belief and to make sure your villagers are fine and what have you. But you can spend you you can spend every day checking in in the winter if you want to, and then just skip spring. Yeah, I mean, if you're like I'm the god of winter, I just hang out in winter. I do some stuff then, and literally the rest of the year, I don't give a shit. Fine, you can do that. Yeah. So uh, I I also kind of like that. I'm gonna say my favorite thing about this game is the board game section of it. I found that fascinating, and honestly, it doesn't even seem like the kind of board game I'd super be into if I'm being honest about myself. Uh, but I think it's an interesting thing to suddenly to see the game be like, hey, not only could you play at a different scale of time, like which is John's favorite thing, but you can do it in a way that completely uses a different engine that still is compatible with the base engine and split be- or switch between them as needed to zero in on specific events. Oh yeah, I I also think it's it's a neat innovation to put in there. Yeah, so I thought that was kind of cool. It was an extra bit of value add inside of the book. So that's going to be my favorite thing. Uh, what would you say is your least favorite thing about uh, what's called New Gods of Mankind? New Gods of Mankind. Uh, you know, mankind is kind of a funny word if you think about it. You know, so I would say my least favorite thing is honestly the fact that you have to start out with a hundred Neolithic people. Like, that feels real weird. I mean, I understand that they are kind of going for a generational, like, yeah, you're going to spend... Like, if you play this multiple times, you're going to be spending many years with whatever tribe you're in. But I feel like you probably, I don't know, should start out close to what the rest of the world is. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. It, they even say, like, oh, if you give people, careful, if you give people more followers, that's how you increase the power scale of this game. And I'm like, frankly good because the power scale of this game feels crappy i feel like i'm turning on the first day of black and white Ah. you're just like well what do you have for followers oh i have a little village and there's like nine guys there and they they keep jumping up and down until i have my cow man eat them Ah. like it it, it feels like it, it it starts too low and doesn't have that epic scale you would really want a game where you're like i'm the fucking god of town to do yep at least it it should you should play through the first 10 to 20 or 200 years of your, your civilization crazy fast. Oh yeah. I mean, that's to get to the point where they're the, interesting. The thing where I'm like a hundred people with stone tools, not the most interesting thing to be the God of. Like I would want to move it along a little. Yeah. You want to see that needle move and you want to, so basically I, I mean, Grant, they do give you the tools for how to do this, so I would say that their their baseline is set a little low. I'm, I'm right there with you. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to... I already said what my least favorite thing is about this game early, very early on, and I'm going to stick to it. Uh, the layout of the book leaves something to be desired. It doesn't jump right in with what this game is and how to play it. Instead, it jumps into a long, 
boring description of every little piece of land on the whole world that is largely useless when you actually establish how your character is going to play. Oh, yeah. And the fact that the actual rules and, you know, being a god and all that is interesting and would hook someone reading it being like, oh, cool, I see the way that you're doing this is innovative. But if I pick up this book in a store and start flipping from the beginning and be like, and I stopped caring. Yeah, yeah. I've had this problem with a bunch of different books because we have local used stores. For There's a game in our local used or our, our local store's used shelf called, I think it's Terra Primate. And I'm like, oh, neat. It's like a, a, a game where you have to fight like an evil ape army in the future or something. That should be neat. And every time I pick it up and, and start flipping through it, I'm like, no, because it opens with like 200 pages of history. Oh, yeah. As soon as you're like, well, let me tell you a story about how we got to Planet of the Apes. I'm like, uh, a dude went into space and came back and it's Planet of the Apes. Fucking move on. I do not care. Yeah. I mean, I might care. Absolutely, I might. I care about the the uh, the lore of a lot of role-playing games. I, I'm very invested in, uh, you know, uh, Rift's lore or or Sentinels of the of uh, the Megaverse lore. Those those things actually are interesting to me, and I I, I like to follow them. I think multiverse, excuse me. Um, but I I got there by being interested in the gameplay and the pitch first. Yeah. So that's really what that's really all I'm saying here is a bad thing is. Or reorganize your book so that there's a hook at the beginning. That's simple. Mm-hmm. Would you play this game? Oh, 100%. I think this would be a super interesting game to play. Uh, whether you're talking about a one-shot or more, I feel like you really would want this to be a campaign, given that it is, you know, so heavily, even without the board game aspect, like a civilization-type builder that you'd, you'd want to do more than just be like, hey, I one-shot is the, the god of farts, and teehee, isn't that funny, and then I'm done. Like, I feel like you'd want to play an actual campaign. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm going to be right there with you on this. Uh, I really think that this is an innovative thing. I don't think I've seen a role-playing game quite like this before. The closest is prob- that I've seen, at least, is probably Nobilis, and even then, it's still a very focused on the character and not focused on their great works game. Oh, yeah. I think the creativity that you are allowed to have in your miracle building and your god creation is like it definitely scratches an itch for this is a fun, creative thing I can do. But it also has those like heavy math rules for, you know, when you're creating an artifact or a hero. If you go to the board game area, you're looking at like territory control. You can really focus on things that you want to do or things you don't. I mean, if you're playing this game, you might just be like, yeah, my entire fun time with this is hanging out with other gods in the celestial realm. And I barely give a shit about casting miracles at all. It's mostly just me talking to other gods. You can do that and never even engage with the miracle system. It's true. You absolutely can. Uh, but yeah, the thing I'm most impressed by with this game is the scale of it. I like that you barely even have a character so much as you have a civilization that you're kind of managing. And sure, you can spend as much time as you want playing fucking Heaven's Sim, but or Sims. But the the overall fact that the majority of t- your your game time is spent being like, I make fifty guys have armor, or I create a scary ghost that scares away an enemy army. That's kind of neat. Yeah. So I'd be willing to play this as well. And if you get it, if you want to be like me and be willing to play it, even though there's you've got problems with the layout of the book, 
if you ever find yourself with a copy of this book, just start reading at page 60. Yeah. And if you want and a that'll copy help you of skip this the problem. Book, you can go over to systemmasterypodcast.com, click on our affiliate link, and get it through DriveThruRPG, which gives us a little bit of store credit. So that's nice. Yeah, we... Technically, we can cash that money out, but it takes a long time till we can. We just use it to keep the, the, the show rich in books. Yeah, we pretty much are just like, neat store credit. I was going to have to buy this shit anyway. Yeah. So you can do that once again, systemmasterypodcast.com. Uh, go get that store credit or help us get that store credit by using the affiliate link. In the meantime, another book you should go buy that you don't need to do at drive through RPG. And I don't think you can is our new book, which is coming out very soon. In fact, I think it'll come out the same day as this episode. Hooray. Uh, that the new book is called dungeon Meister. It is a list of, uh, of fancy cocktail recipes for cool, nerdy parties. It's got 75, uh, neat drinks you can make to enhance your next gaming session or party. Yeah. And it's full uh, and- of, Cool art, fun jokes, and yeah. delicious recipes. And it's like 15 bucks, and it's on Amazon, it's on simonandschuster.com, it's very easy to find, and uh, we're running a little uh, promotion for it. You've got another about two weeks to participate in this. Uh, if you purchase a copy, and you either email us, or DM me on Twitter, or private message me on discord uh, uh you've listened to a long to us a long time you know how to reach us via those channels with proof of purchase of some kind usually a screenshot will get you taken care of there uh i will enter you enter you in a raffle to win a set of shot glasses or sorry actually they're pint glasses we upgraded them uh pint glasses laser etched with our logo and the book logo what a deal they're super cool i already have them john doesn't have them I, i'm sure he's super because i bought enough for me and him oh sweet well. But that's kind of neat. You're, if you get it, you'll be one of only three people who has this, because we're going to keep a set for ourselves as well. So to do that, all, again, you have until the end of the year. Uh, we can't do it as a pre-order thing, because the book comes out today. Uh, but uh, go ahead and purchase it. Let us know you purchased it with a, with a little proof of purchase, and you'll be entered in a cool raffle. And we will only not ship it to countries that we absolutely cannot ship to. And if you're in one of those countries, you probably know already. Oh, yeah. You know. So... Yeah, you know, if you're in Brazil or something, you, I'm sorry. I know we have listeners in Brazil. I, I apologize to you guys, but you know that I'm not going to be able to ship it to Brazil. Yeah. Are you in Australia? Oops. You uh, fucked uh, up. Technically, Australia Australia's not hard to ship to. It's just crazy fucking expensive. We can try and figure something out. There are state. There are countries that are virtually impossible to actually ship to. Well, yeah. Otherwise, patreon.com slash system mastery. Why don't you stop on by and support us at the $1 level to unlock the bonus content we're about to go do, uh, where we make characters in the game we just reviewed. It's our it's our first level of bonus content available to you. Uh, coming soon, by the way, John, I, I'm sure you know about this, uh, we're going to be switching our Patreon. We're taking part in a pilot program through Patreon to move our, 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 uh, our production method from per episode to monthly. Yes, indeed. We can finally undo the fuck up that Jeff did at the very beginning and put ourselves on a monthly standard normal progression instead of per system mastery episode. It wasn't a fuck up. It was just a misunderstanding. I have been wanting to change it for forever. I am hurt. But you're right. It was a, it's, it's a problem that we've needed to fix for a long time. It won't change things for the vast majority of you uh, because, if anything, it'll make things cheaper for most people at first because we're just going to say, we usually made two episodes a month. Now it's just we charge as if we made two episodes that month. Full stop. Oh, yeah. It you, will not get it. You'll see the price essentially double, but it will be the exact same you were spending anyway. And... There were a few months in the year that had three episodes come out, so 
Hmm? You know, we just don't get that now. Now it's just yeah. per month. Well, we, we're switching things up a little bit. We're going to raise the price of the middle range a tiny bit. So uh, where currently I think it's $2 to unlock all the uh, expanded universe stuff, it will become 5 per month. So you'll end up going up by a dollar a month if you were... Uh, if that, but that's mostly just to make up for the loss of those two, mo- two one-month bonuses. Yep. And that's the only change you're going to see, uh, but you're, you'll probably start seeing a bunch of emails and requests for confirmation and what have you. It's just high time we did this. It has been... God, when did we start this show, John? Are we at seven years now? Uh, we are at eight. And have we taken a vacation? I mean, I think we took, we've taken a week off occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> so it's high time. But never so, a week that pays us. That's right. We have been exceptionally dedicated to getting this done. And, and uh, we really look forward to moving to a situation that might allow us some like human time off. I've had to nearly Ooh, die to get a time off time. the show. <laughs> so look forward to that happening soon. I know I am. Uh, and there you go. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Uh, we'll see you real soon with yet more exciting content in about two weeks. And until then, you have a good one. 